So uh, with that, I'd like to pray for asking uh, enlightenment by the Holy Spirit, or from the Holy Spirit. Uh, oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your having taken up residence in our hearts and in our very beings, for we are the temple of the living God, and you are his presence in us. The Father's presence and the Son's presence as well. And we are thankful for your being our resident teacher to lead us into all truth, to guide us in the gospel of salvation. So to this end, we uh, ask this and pray this, and we would thank you in advance for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith in the risen Lord. Uh, I would like to start by mentioning uh, how I would call a dear brother co-laborer in Christ, uh, Mike McLaren, who would come with the team, the RCUS mission team, to teach in the Philippines, but he didn't have to. He always ended his correspondence with the phrase, he is risen. I'll always remember that. The resurrection, the most glorious event in the life of mankind. C.S. Lewis once wrote, and I quote, Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man, referring to Adam. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of a new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened, unquote. Well, as we have done lately in our studies and in the exposition of John, we are approaching this like a narrative or a story. And so the first thing that comes up is Christ's appearance again to the disciples, only this time minus Thomas. In verse 19, then the same day at evening, meaning the same day of his resurrection, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. This is again Resurrection Sunday. The disciples locked the doors and shut the windows because they were afraid for their lives. For after all, the authorities had gone after their very leader and had executed him, who is Jesus Christ, and expected the same fate. Our Lord, upon his entering this locked room, out of nowhere, declared, Peace be unto you. Why? Well, certainly because now he is here, and that is speaking volumes about why they should be at peace. But moreover, because his work that he came to do is finished. When he died on the cross before he actually expired, said, it is finished. And he wasn't talking about his life as much as he was his mission that he came to do by dying on the cross. And that work accomplished peace 
between a holy God and his sinful people put their faith and trust in him. Just as he had promised in the upper room before he was to be apprehended and go through a mock trial, be sentenced to death, and then that execution was carried out on Calvary. He said, for example, these things that I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And now, at this juncture of redemptive history, he has, in fact, accomplished that, or at least the beginning of what would be the conquest of the world system that was under the rule of the evil one, Satan, who is called the God of this world, who blinds the minds, even to this day, of them that believe in that's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is revealed unto them, whose image is revealed unto us, uh, should save them. And all we have to do is believe. As Paul the Apostle declared in Romans 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, that is by believing upon Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access into this grace where we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, meaning that we are anticipating in, to be in heaven with the one who has gone ahead of us, our forerunner into glory, even Jesus the Son of God. He says to them, Look at my hands and my feet. And then to that, his disciples cried with gladness. When they saw the Lord, Luke put it this way, he said, our Lord did, our Lord that is, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have, and no doubt. When he gave them permission, they wrapped their arms around him, brought his feet first, and then they probably gave him a big bear hug, every single one of them. And we're rejoicing that the Lord is back. Even as John, who wrote this gospel, also wrote in his epistle in 1 John 1, 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning, meaning from the beginning of the ministry of Christ amongst them, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have they're talking about not this, but him who is the living word, called here the word of life by John. For the life was manifested, in other words, shown, revealed, in full display before our very eyes, in his glorious, glorified, heavenly body, ready to go to heaven. And we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, meaning Jesus, he is eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So when 
you are a Christian or have become a Christian, your fellowship is with all of God's people. But moreover, your fellowship is the one who binds you all together, even with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In verse 21 of our passage, John 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He repeats peace unto you. And I think for this purpose, because he's going to send them out. And it is a cold, cruel world out there, let me tell you. I mean, even notwithstanding what was happening to them by the persecution that was going full-fledged forward in their very city and throughout their nation with Christ being put out of the way. This is John's version of the Great Commission. As my Father sent me, and so said I you. Meaning as God the Father sent him into the world on his mission, which was ultimately to die on the cross and to rise from the dead, so he sends them out proclaiming that message of salvation to the world. As Mark would put it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that's the mandate of Christ to his church. He says in verse 22 something very interesting and somewhat of uh, an oddity. He said to them, uh, it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. He literally exhaled, exhaled his breath upon them. I assume that our Lord has a sweet breath. <laughs> but this to illustrate the pneuma, or the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The word for spirit is the same as the word for breath. Just like when he taught Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit and says, the wind blows where it listeth, it chooses. Now here's the sound around, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So he said, on this form of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the wind, and he goes wherever he chooses, wherever the Father and the Son send him, that is. They all work in tandem, you know. The disciples did not actually receive the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, which would be 40 days or so later. But this is kind of a prelude and it's a pledge on the part of our Lord when he returns to heaven that they would take note of that both the Father and him would send the Holy Spirit down to them. That the Spirit would literally come upon them, would breathe upon them, and through them would cause the Word of God to go forth and manifest glory. So Pentecost did not actually take those disciples of our Lord by surprise at all. Now verse 23 reads, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted, that means forgive them. And those whose <coughs> sins you retain, they are retained. Now let me say something about this that's very important. And that is that this is not a license to have ordained ministers or priests 
authority that only belongs to God. Because did not our Lord say on one occasion, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, and he's speaking exclusively of himself as God in the flesh. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go to your house. And of course he did. Which flabbergasted them all, and especially the religious leaders who immediately honed in on the statement that he can forgive sin. The truth is he can. And he alone does. And no one else. And no one ought to take this authority upon themselves. Unless they have a chagrin, not the very curse of God upon them. Only our Lord can forgive sin against God. And he said this, whosoever sins you remit or forgive, they are remitted. And whosoever sins you retain are retained. Was speaking again to the preaching of the gospel. Verses 21 through 23 are about the Great Commission, which is that they go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The preacher remits or forgives sins of others, as it were, by the preaching of the gospel and to offer forgiveness in Christ to those who are of repentant heart and who receive Christ, who repent and believe in Christ received, as some have said. Once sins are forgiven for that person, for Jesus' sake. As Luke would say in the book of Acts, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. But of course, when a sinner refuses Christ, when he rejects the Savior, and he does not submit to the Lord, his sins are retained. Not forgiven, that is, by the Lord. And yet we pray that that seed that is planted will bear fruit at a later time in the will of God. In verse 24, Thomas, who's one of the twelve called Didymus, which means twin, he probably had a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And who knows why? Maybe he was providentially taken from them, detained at home to attend to some personal matter. We don't know. Nevertheless, he wasn't there in the Lord's appearing to his disciples in that closed and enclosed room. And he let the other disciples know when they came up to him that he wanted infallible proof. Isn't that what a lot of people want? They want infallible, meaning that there's no way to that this is so. To deny what? To deny the resurrection. To deny so specifically the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Except I see in his hands the print of the nails. In other words, the holes that are still existing in the hands of the Lord. And also in the feet of Christ. Unless I see them and am able to put my finger through them. <laughs> And unless I see that 
gaping hole that was in his side that was caused by that sword to make sure that he was dead. They didn't break his legs. But they put spirit through sight in fulfillment of prophecy and put my fist right through that hole. I will not believe. These were his conditions. And let me add that the disciples, like most Jews, were not gullible people. They're all they're people who are, I'll call we can call it in uh, theological uh, circles, evidentialists. Or like a lot of people that will not believe until they see Jesus. And well, we got another thing coming. Because he is not going to bow to that and because he has left behind this. And I say this to say that the disciples could not have fabricated the resurrection nor hallucinated it themselves, Consider, considering how reluctant they were to believe, even with what evidence they received their own eyes. Now the second event was Christ appearing to the disciples to Thomas. Verse 26. And after eight days came his, his disciples, came again his disciples, sorry. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, meaning indoors. And Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Shalom al king. This was a week later now. This was the next Sunday. By the way, that is why we celebrate and worship the triune God on the first day of the week. Because of the pattern of the disciples in worshiping the risen Lord on the first day of the week. But you will notice, uh, or you notice from the reading, that uh, our Lord doesn't rebuke Thomas for his failure to believe. He's sincere in his desire for them to have peace, and that includes for Thomas. And he actually bows to Thomas's request, doesn't he? He says, here, reach hither your finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand, and thrust it into my side, and be that faithless little man. Yet at the sight of Jesus, all of God vanishes. He did not reprove him anymore. Seeing his, seeing his Lord gliding around and hearing his voice, the voice of the shepherd called the sheep, that undeniable voice pattern that belongs to only one person, that is their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I picture this. Instead of his putting his finger into the scarred prints and his hand into the Lord's side, as Jesus bid him to do, he falls at his feet and declares those words that ring throughout all of history and will until the coming world end, my Lord and my God. This is what the evangelist John maintained from the very start of his gospel such as in the very words, in the prologue, as it's called, of the Gospel of John. 
John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and that is Jesus Christ. And then it jumps down to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. What better way for John in his gospel to have put a bookend, as it were, in closure on this doctrine, this sacred doctrine of Scripture, of the deity of Christ, of the Godhood of Jesus Christ, to the personal experience of one of Jesus' own disciples, Thomas, the most skeptical and doubting disciple of them all, who said, my Lord and my God. He does better than the Jehovah Witnesses, sad to say, and I'm going to say this because you know what? They deny that he is God. They say that he is a God, a demigod, or they say that he is another prophet and not the Son of God. And that, in fact, Jesus Christ is some other being, such as Michael the Archangel is the latest. What is ironic is that in their New World Translation, they change all of the scriptures that allude to his being God, except for one. And that is John 20, verse 28. And I'm reading from the New World Translation. In answer, Thomas said unto him, My Lord and my God, they left it in there. And we could turn to that and actually tell them that Jesus is God because one of his own disciples declares that, confesses that, as the truth. And regardless of how you try to rationalize that or read into that, saying that he was saying that to the Father, you can't deny the context that is that he was talking straight at and looking eye to eye with Jesus Christ when he declared that and said that to him. Anyway, that's an aside. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me and believe, blessed are they that have not seen me, and yet believe. He foresaw the time when such tangible evidence, infallible proof, as it's called in the book of Acts, as what Thomas received would not be available anymore for others who would believe like you and I. And that is because our Lord is no longer with us to show by his physical body, the evidence that everyone is seeking after that are like Thomas, skeptics of this world. All those that believe would do so without having Thomas's advantage Lastly, statement of purpose for the gospel, verse 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these signs are written 
and the word signs often are the word for miracles. They are convincing proofs, in this case of the resurrection, such as in Acts 1.3. Acts 1.3, which reads, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now what these signs that were written are already what have been mentioned in his revealing himself to his disciples, and particularly to Thomas. But why? Well, according to this statement of faith, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God, meaning God the Father anointed him, the long-expected one who was to come, and for hundreds of years had not yet shown up until now. And he's the Son of God, as Paul would say, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, resurrection from the dead. We have the evidence that he is the Son of God. Now his resurrection did not make Jesus the Son of God because he was always that. But what did his resurrection do? It proved that he is what he says that he is and that is God. It shows that everything that he claimed to be is true. And that even before, when his humanity veiled his deity, his being God, aside from those glimpses that we would have, such as, a, such as at the uh, transfiguration of the Lord when he went up to heaven for a time and met with two prophets, Moses and Elijah, which was viewed by his disciples, aside from, from glimpses of his deity along the way and his sinless character and his heavenly teachings and his miracles which only can come from God he was in many ways no different than the rest of us but his resurrection changed everything his power over death proved that he was exactly who he claimed to be and that is the son of God with power by the way, these phrases, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, which, these are almost identical, speaking of different angles of looking at the same jewel of the resurrection. The Jews of Jesus, they refused to do this, refused to accept that. They know what that meant when he would declare himself so, and they would, they would be ready to stone him, and did, in fact, Endeavor attempted to execute him before the time, but it was not his time. This combination of terms reveals the very highest view of the person of Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John's confession, which is that, added with Thomas's confession, hailing Jesus as his Lord and as God, leads us undeniable one-two punch, as I like to call it. One-two punch. Thomas is no longer doubting. 
Thomas is no longer faithless. He's believing. And the second part of that statement of faith, that believing he might have life through his name. It is not just that men may know the truth. It is not just that we have sound theology, as it were. It is not just that men may believe the truth, assent to it. That's important. Faith, in that sense, in that incomplete sense, is not an end in itself. There's a third aspect, and that is trust. Knowledge of the gospel, assent to the truth of the gospel, and then trust in Jesus Christ. Or to use the words of this last verse, 31, that believing you might have life through his name. John's words are echoing the words of our Lord when he said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Is that the life that you and I have? Yes. You're in Christ. Is that the life that we want our loved ones to have? Indeed. Is that the life that we want everyone to have, even our enemies, even those that we speak against on other levels, such as on the political level and on the medical level and, and on all those other levels? We want them to know the Lord because that will change everything, won't it? Their receiving Christ will make them children of God as well as us. Faith in Jesus Christ. And so, how has the resurrection changed your life? Hopefully by what you have heard, it has helped you, strengthened your faith in some way. For those of you who are saved, does it continue, that is, the resurrection, to have an impact on your life so that you want to live more and more for Him? I hope so. Even as the Apostle Paul again said in another place, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Don't set your affection on things below only. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, will appear, then shall you also appear with him. That. You're headed somewhere. You're not just going to end here. Your life is not going to stop here. But it's going to go on. And that place is far more glorious. It is a reason for our wanting to live the Christian life. It is a reason for our wanting to plug along and to fight the good fight of faith. To lay hold unto eternal life in a fuller way, in a more uh, wholesome way greater passion, with greater compassion to have others also be like you, believers in Christ. Now, if you're not a believer yet, I hope you desire to be one, and I hope that this will help you to that end. Because the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is your Lord, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a promise. And the Lord holds his promises very seriously and holds to them and answers them, unlike, of course, the rest of us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have life to his name. I trust that if you have not called upon him, give it to you.
because he is able, as he is shown by his rising from the dead, and he's willing. It's just like he treated his own disciples with that loving, tender care, TLC. So he will anyone who will come to him and ask him. Ask him. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection from the dead. It is no wonder why it was this doctrine, this truth, this capstone of your finished work that sent the disciples not only on their way rejoicing, but with fervency and passion, preaching throughout the whole world. And in the case of almost all of them but one, not only being willing to carry their cause and give up their life, but actually giving up their lives. And Lord, we know that the resurrection is still the same today. In the lives of your people, and I ask that through our understanding, our deeper understanding of it this morning, that it would indeed be not only compelling, but 